0: Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people and others in the autistic community to learn from their stories. Many of those stories deal with finding purpose, which is so essential in all of our lives. And definitely a great way to find that purpose is through special interest. On today's episode of Autism Stories, Michael Andolsek shares his special interest of fashion with us and how it led him to a career he loves. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on Autism Stories.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Doug.
0: I appreciate this. I wanted to start off and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin
1: well i was diagnosed um at 21 and you know right away uh started learning quite a bit about autism reading a lot of books meeting with my psychologist fairly regularly and uh and then through the center that that she worked at i had the chance to decorate when they were renovating and
0: developed a pa- a passion for fashion and at 17 years old started to study about the basics of the fashion industry at Salt Lake Community College Fashion Institute how did your yes. s- special interest for fashion develop
1: well I did not like participating in gym class um, so in high school when I was... Fifteen and a half. 15 and a half, my best friend loved clothing and fashion, and she, she decided that she would bring in her magazines and we would look at those instead of participating in gym. <laughs> and I was just enthralled. I mean, it's, the, the photographs of, of the clothes themselves, the way they were shot, the colors, the way it was styled, it was just, it was so captivating. And I immediately found a, a, a kind of a, a fun world, you know, it was like um, when I was when I was smaller and growing up with my siblings, you know, we would play dress-up and those clothes were much more fantastical than what you see in real life and looking at the magazine was kind of reminiscent of those clothes, the, the dress-up ones, sparkles, and, you know, just glitz and glam and, and I could kind of escape I think from the difficulties that I, I was going through, you know, since I, I hadn't been diagnosed yet, there were a lot of challenges that I didn't know how to cope with. So I I think I latched on and I just never looked back. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) So, So about two years after you started to study fashion, you moved to Paris to continue your studies. How did living in a different culture shape your world as an autistic person?
1: I was really struggling while living there. I found it quite tricky. Uh, food has is, is, uh, always been a challenge for me, and my diet really suffered uh, because I, I didn't have the food I was used to, and, and and the few things that I liked just weren't that healthy for me. So living off of you know Nutella and baguettes and and, and Subway, you know that that's it. Uh, it. It just doesn't help your your body and then your mind as you're trying to cope with things. I didn't speak French fluently uh, although my classes were all in French um, and uh, you know everywhere you go that that's just what you speak to um, I think that was that was that was challenging and you know not having certain coping skills not having learned any to kind of help me with with all the stress then uh, of my life there it, at some point it, it just kind of cracked and, and my parents said let's, let's and that's when everybody said, "Well, have you ever been tested for autism?" So that's that's how my experience shaped me <laughs> living over there. It was marvelous, but but also quite quite difficult.
0: Do you think you would have um, been diagnosed if you hadn't went to Paris? I don't know. I think it took
1: something pretty strong, you know, like that, pretty pretty serious you know, being on my own for so long. Uh, I came home for Christmas at one point, uh, but otherwise, you know, I'd speak with my family over the sky, but I lived a pretty quiet and, and only life over there. Um, not not interacting with very many people because I I was nervous about speaking I had a lot of homework to get done. You know, classes were, were very intense and, and I was very determined to succeed. So, I think I set myself up, you know, for for a crash, and, and then of course it happened, and and, and I, I don't know if, if that would have happened in any other circumstances or not.
0: I... So you returned to the States and eventually started your very own fashion label, Andelsek. What prompted you to go the route of becoming an entrepreneur in the fashion industry?
1: Um, so when I when I returned home, it took a little while. It was you know a couple of years before I felt like I could get back into anything. My parents thought you know let's just take it easy, and so I did and worked on myself and went, you know did a lot of therapy, figured out you know how how I could address certain challenges that you know I felt faced and, and um, come up with with ways to help me succeed in life. You know in general. So after focusing on that for several years, then I decided it was about time to, to get back into work of some sort. Um, the option of going back to school was was presented, and and I immediately turned that down. I didn't I, I didn't want to go through that again, <laughs> uh, whether it was in English or not, in the States or not. You know, I felt I had a fair amount of education within myself. Uh, of course, there's always more than learning, in Poland, but but uh, why not go ahead and get Job. I didn't want to move away though, and most jobs in fashion are, are on the East Coast or or, or, or in Los Angeles. But um, if you are living in the United States, you're predominantly in New York City. So I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to stay here and, I, and, and work on fashion, I really have to start my own thing. And uh, that's how it was born. My sisters said they'd help me out, and they sure did. And my parents gave me a tremendous amount of support. Uh, and now we're we're three years and a half going. <laughs> Hopefully, we won't shut down the coronavirus.
0: And how have your sisters been helpful with your company? Well, you know, none of us have any business training. However, everybody's anxious to succeed. I think because
1: they all like quotes too. So we have a shared enthusiasm for you know <laughs> making fun and products. They try them on, they go, Oh, maybe we should make this. And so I, mean, I work on, you know, a different design or whatever. And, and because of that, then then they're, um, you know, they're eager to, to, to participate in any way they can. They're also very loving sisters. I've very fortunate to have um, siblings that, that really care about me, and, you know, and, and each other too. But um, they, they want to see me grow and, and enjoy life. So they, they step in and, um, and whenever i find something challenging then they offer help for example uh finances you know or event planning and meeting with with multiple vendors you know at a time then they come in and they say well maybe we could take on this instead of you and you know it doesn't always work out because we're all learning none of us have had training in, in what we're doing it would be of with me in clothing but uh, it's still a great
0: one initiative that I know has been important to your company is making sure you're making a concentrated effort to hire other autistic people. What have you learned in the three-plus years of employing other autistics? Well,
1: it, it hasn't worked out very well for me. So I now contract out most of my work. We started out with a certain amount of employees, and, and um, I had a lot of confidence in my plan. My thought was if, if each person focuses on what they do well, then we'll all be fine. The problem is I created an environment that was I was so focused on accommodating everybody else that my mind. I think if, to make it succeed, it, it would take a, a different manager maybe in charge than me um, because I have a hard time focusing on both creating the right atmosphere and making sure everybody is, is feeling comfortable and productive and motivating myself to get projects done. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's very interesting. We have shifted quite a bit to a lot of mentorship and, and um, we have interns as well and Who are interested in pursuing careers in fashion, I reach out and ask for advice. And we share what we can, and um, we support, cheer them on, and it's, it's, it's really fun. And, and we we do contribute a bit that way too. And our efforts have have included, you know, going to to
0: schools
1: and participating in fundraisers that help, you know, programs and communities out as well. And we can I can better do that with.
0: I think I'm better suited for that than overseeing a workforce made up of people with autism. So, as an entrepreneur myself, I am interested in every aspect of entrepreneurship I found out. And one aspect is the look of one's business, which will include a company's logo. Your logo is an A box stamp. What is the significance of this?
1: I really just like the look of it. <laughs> I wanted something that you know corresponded to the name of our brand, which is you know antolix. So, gay and, out and sort of playing around with that. I, I really like sharp lines. I prefer squares and rectangles to circles and ovals. And uh, you know, I certainly use curves in my work, um, but uh, and 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 play with lines like that. But but overall, I wanted something that was sharp and crisp. And I. I don't know, I, I, I kind of drew this box and, and then other other shapes around it too and just kept whittling them away and, and preferred just the simplicity of the letter A with with our, the thin line around it. Yeah, and in our aerial font. I just love the way it looks, which is the same. <laughs> like we, I chose the name for the company <laughs> simply based on the way I like it written out on, um, in aerial font. I thought, you know, I like the way this looks. Uh, it's it, you know, it sounds kind of unique, but um, to me, it was more about what, what what how will this look on tags? You know, when you when you unzip your dress, or you get the box in the mail, or the garment bag. You know, how how does that look? And because clothing is so is so visual. You know, so the packaging and our branding uh, is true, and and, and that's, that's why I I made those decisions to go with those two things. <laughs>
0: What about the colors? Uh, you know, that's certainly a, an important part of the look of any business. There's a strong emphasis, it seems, on using the color yellow. You have a hashtag yeah. built around this with hashtag I shop yellow. Why yellow and not green or purple or any other color?
1: You know, I was, I was trying to think of what other businesses um, were using in clothing, and yellow was not very common. You know, here and there it's used, but it, it, it's not associated quite strongly with any particular brand, luxury or not. And so I thought, well, you know, if we're going to distinguish ourselves from others, then this, this could help, you know. So it's a very happy, cheery color. It took a bit of time to decide on the right hue, you know, what to complement it with. So, so we, we selected gold and white, and now, now we're introducing black as well. So you see that on, in components of our um, packaging, for example. But um, I liked so many colors that it really came down to just, you know, what what will distinguish us from other people? That's why we've got yellow. And then, you know, we, we are using it in the marketing way now because it is somewhat unique to us, um, at least here in Utah. So we're, you know, promoting that iShop Yellow tag and, a lot of yellow at
0: our events. <laughs> How can people go about purchasing some of your your clothing and accessories? Is it just through online or is it in stores?
1: We don't sell to any stores right now. We have no wholesale accounts. We, we haven't ever had any, actually. And we don't have any plans to change that. Right now, our apparel, ready-to-wear apparel, is available exclusively at our private events. We host fashion shows or get-togethers where women are able to see the pieces on models and then afterwards if they feel inclined, and they can try the pieces on themselves and, and, and order a few items. Sometimes people see other women wearing them and then we'll inquire up and, and you know, and inquire and then we'll We'll ship them an item or so, but mostly our sales are done right at our event. So you have to, you have to attend an adult gathering. And um, our brooches, that's our newest item. I mean, our newest venture uh, is, is introducing accessories, and those are available on our website in addition to our event. And then we have we have our custom. Our main work is our custom work, which is adults precision. And that is done in our studio. We produce it all here in Salt Lake City. It's not produced everything is made specifically for the client, and we have women who travel from out of state to visit us.
0: Thinking about uh, your, your products, I'm interested in the materials that you use. When thinking about these materials, you use how much thinking goes into maybe some of the sensory sensitivities, especially relating to touch and smell of the materials?
1: Well, you know, I, I only choose fabrics that I don't think are, that don't smell too much to me. If a ready to wear apparel, I will choose a bunch of fabrics, and I only select fabrics that I'm not finding offensive no odor fights. They feel great against the hand. Uh, they're behaving the way they should according to the design that we're going to be manufacturing. If there's not enough drapes, and we find something else, you know. So, so I, I choose the fabric based on what I like. But when it comes to our custom apparel designs, sometimes women have something specific in mind and, and uh, I might not love it. So I have to go on a hunt for things that are similar, that have uh, similar characteristics, but won't perhaps sell or, or um, quite frustratingly when you're, when you're sewing with them. You know, uh context styles, the materials you're working with. I, you know something smells or, or I'm struggling to keep it in place as I'm pinning or something then you know the project just doesn't move along very well so it's, it's very important for me to keep that in mind but it's, it's natural for me to choose the fabrics um, before we start working with them knowing what I need from them and what I can't handle you know if, if they're not smooth or, or rough enough or whatever you know
0: and you were talking earlier about brooches and how that's an ex- accessory that you, Andelsic, has focused on. Why did you choose brooches?
1: You know, we, we use a lot of cut-to-buttons in our apparel. So they're all made by a jeweler in Los Angeles. And I have really, really always loved looking at them and I feel like they're, I see them all the time <laughs> and, and never get tired of them so why not come up with something where we can incorporate them aside from from the jackets and dresses that we we, we implement those pieces to so the brooches were a fun idea you know to kind of put a bow and then have a centerpiece um, a pin on the back and, and use, use these crystal and nickel plated uh and I like those, I think that they're very feminine looking, you know, I think they reflect the overall aesthetic of our brand, um, and we offer them in the different colors and play around with different, with different types of ribbons or, or materials to construct those from, and they're, they're really...
0: Thinking about the fashion industry, what advice would you give to um, any artistic uh, listeners that want to get, vol- get involved in fashion? Yeah,
1: you know, advice is hard to give um, because I think, you know, everybody's got their own specific set of circumstances and um, I don't always know what everybody's capable of, uh, how how far they can push themselves or can be pushed by others, you know. Um, but I think it's important that if if you yourself find that this is really what you want to pursue, then uh, keep at it. You know, um, there are people who are willing to help and to to teach and to lend you their their time and their their materials, their knowledge to share their knowledge with you, and you can make a career out of it. It's very possible.
0: Oh. Oh, oh, Michael, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us today.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I found this quite interesting. I've never done a podcast.
0: Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Michael for the conversation. To learn more about Michael's company, Andelsick, check out the podcast description for this episode. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. When you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we provide autistic adults and teens hard-to-find support to live self-sufficient and purpose-driven lives through our private coaching and community events. Visit autismpersonalcoach.com to learn more about what we do. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we're thrilled to have Haley Moss return as we discuss the documentary on Netflix, Love on the Spectrum. Talk to you then.